welcome to the Plant Industry News Podcast, hosted by Brooke Miller with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Division of Plant Industry. As a regulatory branch of the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, the Division of Plant Industry works to detect, intercept, and control plant and honeybee pests that threaten Florida's native and commercially grown plants and agricultural resources. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. We are back with our first full-length episode of the season. Hopefully, you feel prepared after listening to the terms and definitions we defined in episode one. If you haven't listened yet, please go check it out. It is a shorter episode that goes along with this season. If you are a previous listener, we thank you for your patience and are so glad you are here. To our new listeners, we welcome you and hope you learn so much from our guests and topics. Our episode today focuses on biological control, and we're going to discuss different ways this method is used in the state of Florida, as well as what it is. Today, we will be speaking with Dr. Emily Krauss, who is the head of the Air Potato Biological Control Program and a biological scientist at DPI. Welcome, Dr. Krauss. Hello, my name is Emily Krauss, and I work as a biological scientist for with the Division of Plant Industry. I am the head of the Air Potato Biological Control Program and the Asian Citrus Psyllid Biological Control Program. So what is biological control? Biological control is when we utilize one living organism to help us manage negative effects that are stemming from another organism, generally something we consider a pest. An example would be using an insect to consume a pest plant or using an insect to consume a pest insect. Why would we want to use biological control? So we would want to use biological control because it can be very beneficial and cost effective and sustainable. When we are thinking about the management of pest species, we always want to use an integrated approach. So taking the various tools in the toolbox that we have available to us, but using them in the correct order, so to speak. So biological control, if it is a conservation biological control, which is conserving the habitat for natural enemies to survive or augmentation biological control, which is adding natural enemies that are native to that area is very sustainable because you're already you're working with organisms that should already be there that have relationships with the pest organisms there. And it's relatively inexpensive. When we talk about classical biological control, that means using an organism to control an invasive species. And to identify that organism, you'd have to go back to the native range of the invasive species, find out what the natural enemies are in the native range, and then go through the work of bringing that organism to the invaded range. And that's generally something that we would do as more of a last resort. So biological control, especially classical biological control, is not the number one thing that we go to. It is a long process and it is not completely risk free. We are aware that when we bring additional organisms into our state, that there is not absolutely no risk. But we want to utilize that if we if it is necessary and it would be necessary if things like mechanical and physical control or chemical control are not efficient and an invasive species is taking over our ecosystem and displacing native species. It's kind of one of our our last resort options. And so we would want to use it if we get to that point where if we don't do something else to manage the invasive species, our native species are going to be completely displaced. What are some of those risks that you have to weigh 
before you start implementing those programs? Yeah. So the biggest one is host specificity. Um, when we look at the natural enemies in the native range, we are looking for things that are what we call specialists, meaning they eat one or two things, not generalists. That would be something like ladybugs or a house cat where they just eat lots of different things. We want something that eats just one or two things. And we put them through what we call centrifugal host specificity testing, which means we start with things that are very closely related and we see if the agent we're considering eats those things. If it does not, we go further out. So we look at things in the same genus, then the same family, then the same order, and then things that maybe aren't taxonomically related at all, but are agriculturally or economically important. And so this is our, our biggest risk. And the thing that takes the longest in implementing classical biological control is ensuring host specificity. So we don't have what we call non-target or unintended effects. Is biological control ever used for eradication or is it simply just for helping to control these species? Because the nature of classical biological control is such that we are using it more as a last resort, it's not the first thing we go to. A lot of times the invasive species that we're trying to manage are already established, meaning they're moving around on their own, they're reproducing on their own, they've got a good hold in the environment here. And by the time that's the case with an invasive species, it's unlikely that you're going to find any measure that will eradicate it. So we're really not looking for biological control of invasive species to eradicate those species, but just to reduce their populations to the point that we have minimal negative effects from them. You touched on some other methods that are used along with biocontrol, like mechanical control and things like that. Can you touch on how you use all of those together? Yeah, sure. So we would always suggest that you start with what's going to be the most cost effective and uh, least uh, damaging to the environment. That is often things like mechanical or physical removal. It's not like uh, labor is free, but it's generally less expensive than chemicals or the decades long <laughs> process of biological control. So um, mechanical control can be things like if you have vines that are climbing in your trees physically cutting and pulling down those vines. Or if you have a plant species that is propagated by seeds, collecting and destroying those seeds before they can be dispersed. So those are some kinds of uh, mechanical controls that we can use. And then there are chemical controls. And we put chemical control next on the list because it's also not necessarily the most sustainable or environmentally safe thing. If you have a certain chemical that was designed to target or be very specific, then it's a little bit safer. It's not going to have as many non-target effects. But if we're thinking about controlling pest plants, say, well, most herbicides are not very specific. And if you are using an herbicide to spray on that plant, it's likely that that will get that chemical will get onto other plants around it. And so then you'll have some non-target effects. So I always say that everybody's integrated pest management toolkit is different. Nobody's toolbox looks the same on the inside. Some people are OK with using chemicals because it's an option that's available to them and they feel that it's right for their situation. Other people do not want to use any chemicals, and that's a personal choice that you have. The tools are out there, but then you choose what's right for your situation. Right. Who are the, would that just be landowners or who would be making those decisions? So it can be homeowners who are making those decisions in their yards, looking at uh, invasive plants or insects that might be coming into their personal gardens. 
It could be park managers. So people who are managing preservation areas, large conservation areas, our state parks, city parks. There are lots of different kinds of land managers who are uh, making those kinds of decisions. And there are a lot of other agencies who are supporting the people who are making those decisions. Like the FWC has a lot of different land and water management groups that work with them or under their direction to, and they have to make these kinds of decisions on what are they going to do about the pests in the land that they're managing. Right. Uh, how long, I know that there, there's obviously a range depending on what it is, but how long can some of these programs take to happen? Yeah. So I would say a minimum would be 10 years. And that is if you are lucky to go to the native range find an organism relatively quickly. That organism is highly damaging to the pests that you're looking for it to control. It is mobile. It has a, an ability to disperse itself because when we're looking at biological control agents, we don't want to have to go to every single patch of Brazilian pepper tree and release them. We want these things to get out there on their own. And so if those steps go well, even if those go relatively quickly, the host specificity testing really can't be rushed too much. You have to test any species in question before it will ever be considered safe. And then there's the more um, like the paperwork <laughs> side of it, <laughs> where getting permits and getting everything documented to the extent that the people who review those permits are happy with it. That will also take some time. So 10 years is a minimum to get to the point where you first release the agent. And then you're going to need probably another 10 years to get it to the point where you know how to mass rear it to get it cost effective to produce thousands of these organisms, to distribute them, to monitor them in the field after you start a distribution to see, are they surviving in this new area? Are they establishing, reproducing on their own? Are they damaging the pest uh, organism as we expected it to? Is this working, essentially? <laughs> and sometimes you have to make some changes. So uh, organisms have been brought in and it has been noted that they don't do as well in, with some of the climatic variables that are different from their native range. And oftentimes, when we're looking at biological control of an organism, we don't just want to find one thing to bring in. We're often looking for multiple natural enemies so that we can attack these pests in more than one way. So, for example, if it's a plant, we want something that could eat its roots and its leaves or eat its reproductive structures and its roots, or some combination of multiple parts of that plant so that we are attacking it with more than one method, so to speak. When you travel by land, sea, or air, ask, can I bring it, and declare agricultural items. With your help, we can safeguard natural resources and protect the food supply from invasive pests and disease. Whatever your destination, enjoy the journey and remember, don't pack a pest. What kinds of biocontrol programs do we have happening right now? So right now we are in, in my lab, we're doing the biological control of air potato. The air potato mine is Dioscoria bulbifera, and we have been working since... Well, in 2002, the agent Liliaceris chenai was brought in by the USDA. It was released in 2012. So there's a decade of research that had to go into that one. Um, and around the time that they found that beetle, they also found a related species 
Liliaceris aegina. And that one's just being released this year. So that's a new agent and it eats the bulbs of the air potatoes. So we're excited for that one. We have Asian citrus solid biological control. We're using Tamarixia radiata. We're macerating millions of those wasps and releasing them around the state. Um, there is the Brazilian pepper tree biological control program. Um, I don't know. The, the genus name of this insect is very long. Um, so it's P. <laughs> um, the P is, yeah, stands for something very long. Um, but that program has been going on in collaboration with the USDA and UF for a while. We're working a little bit on the biological control of Chinese tallow, but that's a slower process and nothing has been released uh, for that invasive species as of yet. There has been uh, some work uh, in with, uh, within FDAX for biological control of invasive waterweeds. So there are several invasive waterweeds that have different biological control agents that have been released, but some of them are not establishing throughout the state. So we have worked a little bit on Salvinia minima and the control, the biological control agent for that is Certavagus salviniae. And then there's Hydrilla verticillata, which is a submerged aquatic weed. And there are a couple of agents that could be released for control of that invasive species. But in the past, they haven't established well. And so that's kind of a that one's up in the, up in the air a little bit. And then there's water hyacinth, um, which its name just got changed to Pontidaria crassipes. And there are several biocontrol agents for that some of which the University of Florida has and distributes in small amounts. But if anyone has been to the Sweetwater Wetlands Park this year, you can see that the hyacinth is really taking over there. So we're trying to work on getting some more agents released in that area and established in that preservation area so that we can save our wetlands here. How can our listeners learn more about biological control? Well, the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services does have several websites within the Bureau of Methods Development and Biological Control. So there are pages on classical biological control in general, which is the type of biocontrol where we bring organisms from other countries here. So we have pages for Tamarixia, the Asian citrus psyllid biocontrol, and air potato, Brazilian pepper tree. So within our website, there's... um. There's a good amount of information to be found there. And then, of course, the University of Florida here has a lot of different biological control programs and some excellent faculty working on those areas. So through FDAX or UF, you can get a lot of information on biological control. Thank you so much for all of your uh, knowledge and information that you shared today. Great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. For more information on biological control or invasive pests in Florida, please visit fdex.gov for more information. Thanks for tuning in to Plant Industry News. We are so appreciative of our listeners, hosts, and those involved in the production of this podcast to keep it on the air. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating and review, as well as share with friends and colleagues. To learn more, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at at FDAXDPI, FDAXDPI. See you next episode.